You are listening to the Straight Shooters Podcast. I am your host, Nick Pacone, and we're doing something a little different this week for the show, so don't adjust your podcast app or whatever you're using to listen to us, because we've got a great show ahead for you. As we've noted on our social media pages throughout the week, we were supposed to take a deep dive into WrestleMania 15, which emanated live from Philadelphia, our hometown, on March 28th, 1999. We were going to have the Blue Meanie, a.k.a. Brian Heffron, an ECW icon and WWF superstar during this time period on the show, but at the 11th hour, scheduling issues came up, so we couldn't do it this week. We're eventually going to have that deep dive, but for this week... We're reliving one of our very first deep dives on the podcast before we call them deep dives. And we're going to dive into the 1997 ECW pay-per-view, Barely Legal. The Blue Meanie joined us for this show, and uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it if you haven't heard it yet. It was our classic episode number 192. So this was two years ago, and the Blue Meanie joined me, Vaughn Johnson, and we discussed the Raw invasion leading up to the pay-per-view. And the very first ECW pay-per-view, Barely Legal, took place at the ECW Arena, April 13th, 1997. So like I said before, we recorded this episode almost exactly two years ago. So some references may be outdated, but here we go. Another classic episode from the Straight Shooters featuring the Blue Meanie, ECW Barely Legal anniversary show, we called it, back in April 2019. My name, of course, is Warren Johnson. Well, super nerdy pet peeve uh, of mine, nitpicky. I don't think he should have been hopping over the top rope like a parkour champion. You got me mad now. What is your name? As always, with my main man, Pots and Pants, Nick McCone. That's me. Don't really know us like Straight Shooters is the I believe the number one show on Wildfire Radio. I'm feeling good. No sleep, no food, no nothing. Just maniacism. For all the skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry. What actually happened on the show? Nothing. Give me a hell yeah! I said give me a hell yeah! What is up, ladies and gentlemen, out there in the internet land? My name is Vaughn Johnson, joined by my main man, Pasta Pants, if we're going to Philly, influencer of Philly. Wait a minute, I said that. I messed up your intro already. It's all right. We're off to a rousing start. Can you know why? Because it's Thursday. You effed up. You effed up. You effed up. It's an appropriate chant for today's show. <laughs> but I'm keeping it PG 13 for the podcast. <laughs> right. Thank you. We appreciate, appreciate that. that. <laughs> but. Uh, surprise, we're doing a Thursday show. Uh, usually, sometimes we might do a Thursday show because it's our one show that week. But no, we're doing an extra special show today. This is episode 192 of The Straight Shooters on a whole bunch of platforms. And if you heard the third voice there, me and Nick are joined by our very special guest, the Blue Meanie. He's back. Hello. Hey, how's it going, guys? <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back on, man. We appreciate you taking oh, time out. I had such a blast last time, and uh, it's a cool gimmick here with this whole screen thing. Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like the Jetsons, you know? It's like... 
The Jetsons. Yeah, the, the podcast of the future. Yeah, all that stuff they Our did back in the day in cartoons, it's real now. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Next thing you know, they do got robots out there doing stuff, so, mm-hmm. you know, there you never Robot maids going to eventually take over the world and kill us because that's what happens with robots in every movie. And then the Matrix happened. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But we're going to have a special episode, as I mentioned, because today we're going to run down and then kind of do like a, maybe a, a blast of the past, a, a look into 20 years ago because we're on the, the precipice of the anniversary of the 22 year anniversary, right? Of the ECW's <laughs> first ever pay per view, barely legal, took place all the way back. Let's look it up here. April thirteenth, nineteen ninety seven. And of course, this is April eleventh, so we're two days shy of the twenty second anniversary. But who better to have to kind of discuss the kind of the build up and kind of what happened and what went into making this show come off the ground? Then. The Blue Meanie guy who was there pretty much throughout the whole thing. Yeah, it was an interesting time because uh, ECW had been around for a while and we were doing TV. And, uh, you know, you always wanted to you grow your business and grow your company. And uh, just the, the next logical step seemed to be pay-per-view. And, um, you know, uh, there was talks of a pay-per-view happening, you know, you know, but, you know, but you, you never know what to believe or you don't know what's uh, real, what's just a, a carrot that they, they angle in front of you to keep you motivated, stuff like that. And, you know, Paulie was always the great motivator. But, uh, yeah, there was talks like we were supposed to we're supposed to do uh, we're supposed to do an ECW pay-per-view. But then we got in trouble with a lot of cable companies because they confused ECW for the UFC. They thought we were like they thought we were like extreme fighting and all that stuff, and uh, you know we had to you know kind of like prove ourselves that you know hey uh, no we're we're professional wrestling you know a lot of times people would see the the sizzle reel the highlight reel of just you know the chairs and all that stuff and think that's uh, a whole two hours of just that. Meanwhile, you know, we had, you know, legit matches in between. I mean, we had matches in between. All the matches were legit, but we had, you know, wrestling, wrestling in between. Besides all the uh, the plundering that happened would happen in the main event or another match on the show, stuff like that. So we had to fight that uphill battle to let, you know, the pay-per-view company know, pay-per-view companies know that we were legit. Because at that time, UFC had been, you know, banned in most states. They couldn't run shows, and they were barely on pay per view, which you you had to find, or if you know you couldn't get the pay per view, you had to find somebody who recorded it, or you know, do some tape yeah. trading. Which ironically, ECW, you know, you know, made its name through the, the tape trading circuit and stuff like that. So, just you know, leading up to that pay per view was like a, a an uphill battle. And it was a, an interesting time on top of the other stuff that, you know, East, all the stuff that ECW had to go through to just get on pay-per-view. But then you had the kind of the co-promotion I had with WWF, or now WWE, obviously, and, and yeah. how that all played into it. And I think, you know, Nick, you took a lot of notes. You got a lot of questions, yeah. and you're going to lead the discussion here and kind of the build-up to uh, Barely Legal and how it all went down. And I, and I know a lot of stuff we're going to talk about kind of intertwines with – WWF and 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 how they you know you guys popped up on 
Raw multiple times and, you know, people chanting ECW in the arena. So first, before Nick gets, you know, gets going, Nick, I just wanted to ask, when did you start hearing about, what time frame did you start hearing about, oh, there's, it's going to be a pay-per-view? What year, what month did you remember that? Oh, man. I, it's tough to remember that exact moment, but it definitely was before, uh, you know, they started uh, that kind of working relationship with WWF. I know there was a few times where, you know, there was ECW uh, signs and they were, they talk, Vincent McMahon even mentioned it on a pay-per-view, but uh, I don't think it was around that time frame. I think it was one of their weekly television episodes where um, I think it was when they finally announced that there, there was going to be a pay-per-view. I don't think it was on like WWF TV that I heard about it. I think it was like one of the Saturday yeah. night or Tuesday night, uh, whatever's on WGTW. And I was just like, wow, that's pretty cool. It's funny because I didn't, I kind of at that moment, you know, I'm a young wrestling fan and I just liked wrestling and I didn't know, you know, the insides and outsides of the business or whatever. So my first reaction was kind of like, I don't know why it's such a big deal because WCW is on pay-per-view, WWF <laughs> on pay-per-view. Why wouldn't ECW be on pay-per-view? And obviously, as I got older, I started reading more into uh, the happenings and why it was so hard uh, for ECW to get on pay-per-view uh it, it just made it that much more interesting and it, it made sense now like looking back i'm like oh well they're actually it's almost short of a miracle that they made it to pay-per-view based on all the you know the hoops they that paul Heyman and you guys meanie had, had to go through uh so yeah I, th- I don't remember the exact date but it definitely wasn't on wf tv when i found out about the pay-per-view what did you start hearing about it meanie uh, well, I, I you just you just started a memory that uh, like one of the first mentions of like or like the, the inkling that you know ECW was uh, being mentioned on WWE uh, TV was there's a uh, when they were doing the live Shotgun Saturday Nights and they're at a nightclub in New York and uh, people just busted out like when a, there was a lull in the action people just start chanting ECW ECW <laughs> and uh, around that time when um, Sonny was still coming around to ECW because, like, her and uh, Candido would, would come around the shows. Uh, Sonny told us, you know, you know, the fans started kidding ECW, ECW, and uh, Fitz goes, uh, what's this ECW thing they're chanting? She goes, oh, well, it's a local promotion in uh, the Northeast, blah, 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 blah. So Sonny pretty much smartened up Vince, like, during a commercial break of Shotgun Saturday Night, what this ECW chant was. <laughs> And then uh, eventually, uh, back to the question of when I first started hearing about the pay-per-view, it's just something that was always kind of talked about. And then there was like a preliminary uh, agreement that we were going to be on pay-per-view. Okay, we, we, we jumped through that hoop. And then all of a sudden, the uh, mass transit accident, no right. well, incident, not accident, no, no, accident. no, no, that was not an accident. Uh, <laughs> it looked like an accident. It looked like a car accident, but uh, that happened. And then a bunch of, uh, uh, I hate using the term dirt sheet writers, uh, <laughs> a bunch of n- newsletter writers reached out to, I think it was in demand or on demand back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, oh, well, what do you think about this case? which the cable companies had no clue, you know, the mass transit incident happened. So then the, the cable companies got a little bit of cold feet and they, they did pull the plug on our first pay-per-view. 
so word made it to uh, the internet. Uh, well, the internet was still in its infancy, and there was a, 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 a ECW support group slash fan club slash whatever you want to call it called Strictly ECW. And they started a uh, – somehow somebody got the uh, email and phone number of the people from I – I hope I'm getting it right – on demand or in demand, whatever it was called at the time. And they got inundated with phone calls, emails, faxes. Please, we want you to be on pay-per-view. And it was such an overwhelming response just from people who are, you know, potentially paid customers who want to pay for this pay-per-view that they want to put on that, you know, uh, we got put, you know, back on life support. And uh, thanks to, the, you know, the fans that, uh, you know, strictly ECW, ECW was put, Know back on the the uh, the lineup sheet for uh, you know a, a pay per view in uh, April of '97, I believe it was. So yeah, thanks to the fans. I mean, our fans always had our back, no matter what. You know, initially when uh, on a side note, a sidebar, when I got released from WWE and they made it, you know, the internet, the same strictly ECW fans went ballistic and did the same thing. You know, calling WWE, sending emails faxes and all that stuff and then uh Vince Russo came to me and said yeah man our, our system totally got like our email system got shut down wow so uh that that impressed Vince and you know it's gonna you know JR called me he's like well you gotta you gotta pardon from the governor you know on the state of <laughs> <laughs> so I was like hey that's cool and uh so you know you know, our, the fans always had ECW's back, always had the wrestlers back, even when I was no longer a part of ECW. But the main reason why Barely Illegal became a thing, besides, you know, Paul Lee and the wrestlers in the ring, the fans were an integral part in getting us back on. And you mentioned uh, the Sunny thing happened on Shotgun Saturday Night. We actually did a lot of commentaries on Shotgun Saturday Night not so long ago. So we listened to that and a bunch of other suits of content, including our last time we had Blue Meanie on the show. This right. is the first time. Tremendous. This is the second time. We did a show all about the 2300 Arena, formerly known as the ECW Arena. Check all that out on patreon.com slash shooters radio for the nominal fee of $1.99 per month. So, or per creation. Exactly. <laughs> Way cheaper than WWE Network or any other streaming service out there. That's right. Just $1.99. So go check it out. Uh, but, Nick, I'll let you t- kind of take it yeah. away and. You know, kind of lead this discussion. And, yes, so, and obviously, we love Shotgun Saturday Night, one of the greatest shows in the history of uh, wrestling. But uh, <laughs> they, anyway. need that, uh, they need to put that up on the network. That'd be they great. do. They do. I've been waiting for it, man. I've been waiting no, for it forever. Actually. They so. can. They oh, can. Absolutely. They can do without it. It'll be all right. Eh, nah, like Jim Cornette running out into the street in his underwear. That's the best part. If you put Confidential on there, you got to put Shotgun Saturday Night on there. That's, Is that's Confidential on there. Yeah, they yeah, started adding they just some put episodes. all the confidential episodes up there. Yeah, Man. I did watch it a lot when I was a kid. I'm not gonna. Me too. Me nope. too. So I, I just watched. I watched the episode of Confidential. And it was so weird. It was like you went back in the time capsule to see how a lot of these, how young, you know, some of these guys were. Like you know, mm-hmm. a, a young Randy Orton. You know, he looks so different now. Yep. And stuff like that, and the music and all that stuff. It's just, it's, it's, it's neat. It's neat, neat to go back and watch. And like, when you look through it, I go, man, I don't remember them making that many episodes, but they made a lot of episodes. Yeah, they did. Cool. They did. So uh really good show, by the way. So uh, if you haven't, if you didn't know that confidential is on the WWE network, uh, you have us to thank. So <laughs> uh, go out there and start watching, but listen to this podcast first. 
And yeah. also, so we, let's let's go back to King of the Ring 1995 because that was a great pay per view. I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, terrible. But oh <laughs> it was in is Philly. That one, is that the one Mabel one? Yes, it is. So uh, shout out to Mabel, by the way. Rest yeah, piece of Mabel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The third man in the, the NWO. Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, so <laughs> apparently there were ECW chants during the Mabel Savio Vega final. Uh, I don't know if they were uh, mentioned by the commentators, but there was an ECW chant. So that's like the first time, I guess, mainstream uh, that the letters ECW and what it meant that in Philly, you know, it was making the mainstream. Uh, so we fast forward to Mind Games, September 1996, back in Philly. I think the first WWE event ever at the Core State Spec- uh, Center. Yeah, it was. Because uh, yep, the Spectrum was uh, still there, but uh, the center was built. So a lot of like all the sports teams went there. WWE had uh, mind game, the Mind Games pay-per-view there with Shawn Michaels and Mankind. One of the very first that. match of that pay-per-view, you had the Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, Taz, and Paul Heyman kind of like in the front row and get involved a little bit. Um crowd chanting ECW and I think it was like during a Savio Vega match and, and Bradshaw, Justin Hawk Bradshaw, the one of the better gimmicks he had, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, and who maybe got a bit of history with uh, Bradshaw? I mean he yeah. some, some yeah, Bradshaw. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a fan. <laughs> I, I, that's not sarcasm. I, I really was a fan of the gimmick and stuff like that because reminded me of Stan Hansen. I was a huge Stan Hansen yeah. fan. So we've we've known you know, you about have, it. You haven't made up since you know the whole stuff, oh, like, yeah. that stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. we can poke fun of that a little bit, but yeah, yeah, of course. So you know, ECW chance there. Um, that was the first time I thought it. I thought it was really cool. I'm like, wow, what are they doing there? Because it didn't even hit me that ECW was based in Philly, and I lived literally like 20 minutes away from Philly. Uh, I never understood like the national versus local phenomenon until I was way older. So I was like either not paying attention to anything. <laughs> like no one was like, you, I was like, wow, like a double. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, what's ECW doing here? Like, I know it's in Philly, but like, it's so weird seeing wrestlers from another organization on TV for another organization. Uh, even though I had seen the NWO at that point, the NWO started like booming at that point uh, in WCW, but this was just different because you guys were, still ECW. It wasn't like you were WWF superstars. You were ECW kind of invading WWF at the time. And uh, now, Mini, did you know that, that you were going to have that presence on the Mind Games pay-per-view? At least ECW was going to have that presence? Yeah. Uh, leading up to it, uh, you know, Raven told me about it. Actually, I watched the uh, that Mind Games pay-per-view at Raven's house. Uh, we all went... Uh, me... I want to say me, Stevie, and a few others went over to Raven's house. We watched the pay per view, and uh, we, you know, we and it, it was it was it was pretty cool to see. It was uh, a little, another little thing that you know, nobody really knows is you know, uh, Dreamer, uh, Paulie, Sandman were in the front row, but uh, ECW also had you know guys scattered around the building like the Eliminators and stuff like that. Okay. A case of shoot broke out. They <laughs> had some kind of backup, you know. You know, in case you know things got a case of you know because in this wrestling business, you just never know. Well, no, you're paranoid. Yeah, you know, you're paranoid. Yeah, you just never know. Yeah, I remember uh, we were doing a pay per view 
uh, we did Wrestlepalooza down in Atlanta, and Paulie was so paranoid about, don't stay at the such and such hotel. So uh, so so and so who works in the lobby is friends with somebody at WCW, and you wow. go there and you happen to get arrested for something, you're off the pay per view. Yeah, just some movie like that. Wow. So it wasn't surprising that you know when uh, Paulie and Sandman and uh, Dreamer were going to sit in the front row that he had other ECW guys scattered around the well, audience in case something happened. Back in the know, day. If, if and the, the reserves, you know, right. And back right. in the day, if a, if a promotion ran in another person in another promotion's territory, there might be a fight. Yeah. Or they showed up to the show, something like that. So this is only, you know, we're talking what ninety six. So yeah. when the territories kind of like really go away, like eighty six, eighty seven. That's when they kind of like really kind of went away and Crockett and it was really Crockett at WWF. We're only ten yeah. years or so removed from that. So that those mentality yeah. is still ingrained in the wrestling business. You got to be careful. You got to watch your back. And if you wanted somebody to watch it back, get the eliminators to do it because they'll you know, kick somebody's ass. Oh my god! Oh yeah, <laughs> Barry, you know, Barry just look at you and make a man freeze, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, no, uh, we we watched there, and it was just amazing. It was amazing that it happened, and uh, there's uh, there was always that that uh, thrill of danger, you know. You know this this could be like really cool. This could be really bad because a lot of the, I mean, we've we, if. If you listen to the Bruce Pritchard uh, podcast, you know, on WW, ECW, and they talk about, you know, that maybe Bruce Pritchard and may, well, Bruce was knew about it and Vince knew about it, but none of the wrestlers knew. Wow. So none of WWE wrestlers knew. That had to be and, crazy for them. Uh, so, like, when you see yeah. Justin Hawk Bradshaw, like, looking over and about to, you know, go over there. He was going. He was. He was going over there, <laughs> and, and luckily Savio, you know, just said, "Hey, man, just come with me," you know, and you know, just grab yeah. him. And, that could have been worth it. Ain't worth it. Ain't worth it, you know. But uh, and then, like, a lot of people forget. Like the, the, the next night, you know, Ted showed up at uh, Raw. Yeah. In yeah, he had a sign that said uh, "Sabu Fierce Taz," so it's kind of like, well, that's cool. Which was amazing because here's another situation where nobody was smartened up. And uh, Taz is coming down the steps. I think Fonte was with him blowing the, that godforsaken whistle. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and Taz just told, if somebody gets in your way, get him out of your way. So nice. he, hops rail, he hops the rail. And one of the photographers that works for WWE goes, Taz, Taz, you don't want to do this. Taz, you don't want to do this. And Taz is like, Get out! He shoved the guy, and not knowing later on that the, the photographer wound up breaking his arm. Ooh. Just, it's like ooh, but uh, you know, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, you know, Taz goes, you know, ringside, you know, with with the side Sabu, you know, Taz. First day with the new brain. I'm sorry, Sabu here's <laughs> Taz, and uh, it was just amazing TV. And, and then again, he also. Yeah, you know, there's that thrill of danger because Davy Boy Jr. and uh, Owen Hart. I mean, they're shooters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. There's actually, if you go back and watch that on WWE Network, and I kind of did that earlier today. Davy kind of goes after him. He he like goes through the ropes, and then it cuts to a commercial. So you almost like I, I remember watching it and being like, "Oh, this isn't supposed to happen." Because even though like I'm 11 yeah. or 12 years old at the time, I'm I'm wary. I was like, "Okay, like it's." It's everything on TV. It's supposed to happen, but like this isn't. So I was always like, 
WWF, that's and WCW, that's the fake stuff. ECW, that's that's the real stuff. So this kind of like <laughs> bled it like bled into that for me. I'm like, oh, like Taz isn't supposed to be there, but Bulldog's going to kick his butt, and then they come back from the commercial, and uh, Taz is gone by that point. But I thought that was like brilliant, and coming off the heels of the Mind Games pay per view, yeah, your present ECW's presence was felt on that pay per view, but. It's not TV, so like the ratings, you know, you see like less eyes were probably on that pay per view than would have been on Monday Night Raw. But then the next night, you have you do have that presence, albeit for a few seconds. Like you still have that. And before you know, I know when Hart British Bulldog, I think they were uh, they faced the Body Donnas that time. So I mean, yeah. they're like popular, you know, figures. Maybe not the Body Donnas so much, but like people were into the Owen Hart and Bulldog. So I mean, it was a, it was a big spot, and then. I don't think anything like that was the kind of end of it until February, right? Like, I, I don't think ECW really was mentioned on WWF or vice versa until February, where they were in Nashville. Monday Night Raw was in Nashville. Before you go on, before you go on to that point, Nick, what, what, what was it like building up to these next run of shows with WWF? What, what was happening in WWF at that point? Because you know the pay per view is going to happen in April. April at some point. What was it like leading up to this point, knowing that you want to get this WWF rub too? What was happening in the ECW locker room? Well, it's just a lot of people, you know, wondering what the card's going to be. I mean, you pretty much knew it was going to be, you know, the the main one main match would be, you know, Taz Sabu. You yeah. knew that, but everybody's, you know, trying to position themselves to see, hey, you know, I mean, what are we doing? You know, I want to be on the first ever pay per view. You know, and everybody's trying to, you know, figure out what their spot in the company is and, you know, what their position would be to be on the pay-per-view in the first place. Cause I mean, uh, you know, originally, I mean, if you watch, you know, uh, rise and fall of ECW, you know, uh, Van Dam said, you know, he wasn't even scheduled for the pay-per-view. Right. You know, he, 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 you know, it's supposed to be, uh, somebody else and somebody else got injured. So he came on as a replacement to wrestle Lance storm. So leading up to that, nobody was really sure if, you know, they were going to be on the first ever pay-per-view, you know, even though, you know, we were all there, we all went to the Terry Funk banquet the night before and, you know, stuff like that, you know, just leading up to it, it's like, man, I hope I'm on it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was definitely cool. It was definitely, I remember there was one meeting in, uh, I want to say in Revere, Massachusetts at the, uh, the uh, dog track, I forget, uh, Revere and Revere, uh, same place where the uh, mass transit incident happened. We had a regular show, and afterwards we all had to stay. And Paul, you know, told us, you know, bravery was happening. He gave it the date, and you know, you know, talked about how you know the payment system was going to have to work out and stuff like that. And you know, uh, you know, as much as we were rebellious, you know, we were getting a little bit of help from WWE too because they helped us, you know with the lighting company and stuff like that. WWE always had a little bit of, you know, a helping hand along the way, whether it was helping uh, set up the uh, Taz Bigelow spot where they go through the ring. Oh, they helped do that. They helped set up that spot? The WWE uh, people helped set up the trap door spot and all that stuff. That was living dangerously, right? Right. Yep, yep, yep. That that was a future pay-per-view. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's probably the same one that uh, the same trap door that they you know keep around forever. Like Big Show goes through the ring, right? Yeah. Like that, you know, 
But uh, yeah, WWE helped with that. They helped us with the lighting. Uh, uh, Vince, you know, smartened you know Paul up on you know how to, how the you know the payment system was going to go. It's when you do a pay per view that that first you know a lot of money goes into an escrow account, and then like in like a couple months, it, you know, matures, and then you you get paid like four months later and stuff yeah. like that because. You know, because none of us, I mean, we we're barely, you know, on TV. <laughs> we're like, well, you, you think you get these pay-per-view checks right away, but you got to get, you know, learn that, you know, you, you get, you get your, your, your initial appearance rate that night, but then you get the, uh, the bonus. Yeah. Four months later, stuff like that. So we were having meetings along the lines of that. We had a meeting in Revere, Massachusetts. And then we also, I don't even know if this was before or after barely legal but it was we had a meeting at, Bla- at the blackwood cyo and he explained you know the process of getting paid and stuff like that but you know everybody's you know just it was tense it was a little bit tense i mean we're, we're still the uh you know the land of misfit toys and we're all still watching each other's matches and having fun and being a bunch of goofs you know goofy guys but uh we knew this was a big step and uh you know, this is, we knew this could potentially, you know, make our, all our lives, hopefully, uh, a lot better. Right. Uh, just to clear up, uh, what Meany was referring to earlier as far as like the, the cable company that kind of, that canceled the initial pay-per-view and you refer to the, the, the newsletter writer, that newsletter writer was Wade Keller, apparently, according to Wikipedia, at least. Uh, yeah, Wade Keller and, and, and wrestling Bruce history. Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the cable company was Request TV, according to, uh, right. Of course, the very reliable source okay. of Wikipedia. So maybe we can get this one right. Uh, no, no, no. So, yeah. Request. I think a request eventually became in in demand or on demand. I think yeah. they eventually yep. changed names. Yeah, because uh, it was like viewers' Fair choice, shot, right? I've been in the head a lot, so you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I remember just, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what what the, the Spice Channel was on. There you go. All right. Was that like where Kimono Wadaleo was? Anyway, anyway. Take us to 97, please. You brother. They talked about, you know, you were the land of misfit, you know, toys and all this stuff. Did you guys, so on the February 17th, 1997 edition of Raw is when Jerry Lawler becomes kind of the mouthpiece for the WWF in, in, in that debate, um, it, it's kind of interesting how it was laid out. It was like Jerry Lawler was the guy that kind of threw the first shot. You know, like it wasn't that ECW was taking shots at WWF, like when they were on at Mind Games or anything like that. Like there was Paul Heyman wasn't getting the mic and cutting promos in the ring or anything like that. So finally, they I guess they had plants with ECW rules sign at, the, at this Monday Night Raw taping. And uh, finally, during a match, uh, they have Jerry Lawler just take it and like point at it and being like, he said, ECW stands for extremely crappy wrestling. And yeah. uh, so, so genius, you know. Uh, and then, <laughs> you know, I remember sitting there watching and I'm like, well, that's rude. Like, Come on, dude! Like I like this wrestling. Like, why is he being a jerk? Yeah. Uh, so I, it, it, it's funny when fans get mad at a heel for being a heel. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they didn't do anything to you, man. Like, chill out. And then he right, invites right. he invites ECW to the Manhattan Center the next week because there was going to be a live Raw episode uh, the twenty fourth of February nine nineteen ninety seven at the Manhattan Center. Later on in that program. 
Paul Heyman actually calls into Raw and accepts Jerry Lawler's challenge, and they go at it, you know, back and forth on the phone. And I thought that was like so well done. Uh, were, were you wary, aware that Paul Heyman was going to have that spot on Raw? Were you aware that this episode, the seventeenth of February, that episode was kind of going to kickstart the the promotion that you guys were going to have on Raw for the pay per view? Oh, absolutely not! I didn't know, and, <laughs> and you know why? You know why? I I absolutely didn't know because I was watching that episode of Raw. I'm sitting on the floor in front of my TV, and Paulie calls in and saying he's going to evade Raw the next week. And the first words out of Jerry Lawler's mouth was, oh, "Who are you going to bring? The Blue Mean?" <laughs> <laughs> and, That's not and right. I, I, I literally spit, you know, when you see the spit takes, I was like, I almost did it like a spit take. I was like, hold on. He just said my name. <laughs> it's on YouTube somewhere. If you can find it, he's like, oh, what are you going to do? Bring the blue meaning? I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So You're the first ECW name ever uttered on WWF TV, right. probably. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It was insane. It was insane. And, and uh, well, to, to get ahead of myself. Uh, the BWO was the uh, epitus for Vince McMahon. The first public mentioning of Vince McMahon saying the words NWO. The first time he acknowledged the NWO was because the BWO came out and referred to the NWO as a clothing line. So <laughs> as, a, as a little dig that, you know, that clothing line, the NWO. So, but yeah, dude, I literally crapped my britches when I, I, I was like, yeah, I'll just put on Raw. Let me see what's going on. Oh, there's East Abbey sign. Oh, he's ripping up the East Abbey sign. Oh, he called it extremely crappy wrestling. Re- extremely crappy wrestling. Oh, my boss just called in. Oh, they just called me out. I was like, what? <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't believe it. I, I was, I was going to stock up in Burger King crowns and uh, bring into uh, <laughs> the, our house shows that weekend. So how, did how you did guys you- have like meetings that week uh, to kind of go over what exactly your ECW invasion on Raw would kind of look like, feel like, uh, or was Paul Heyman just kind of like, you're going to be there, you're going to be there, you're going to be there, and just kind of talking to the people that were going to appear on the show? It was just, we went to, I forget what the house show was that weekend. I'm sure I could look it up, but I stinkly, I stinkly, Remember, Paul said, okay, BWO's booked on the uh, Raw. And I was just like, you know, floored. You know, uh, uh, you know, a few guys were told who was going to be there. And, uh, you know, it was amazing. And then we did the shows that weekend. And uh, when it came to going to Raw, uh, we all started this caravan where, you know, me, Raven, Stevie, and uh, I think, you know, John Finnegan, a few other guys drove from Philly up to Tommy Dreamer's house. I want to say in Yonkers, wherever he was living at the time. And then from there, we it was like Smokey and the Bandit, you know, just like, you know, <laughs> they got in their cars and we had like this ECW caravan going from Tommy Dreamer's house down to the Manhattan Center. And we all met, we all parked at the, the garage right next door. Now at that, you know, ECW was pretty cool at the time where, you know, uh, we all wore like the same ECW jackets with the same design, kind of like, you know, 
like a team. You no, know, like a like a team, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, like an Olympic wrestling team or something <laughs> like that. So the coolest thing, like we we parked at the garage next door to the Manhattan Center, and we walk out in the that main street. Uh, I forget the the street, but we make that left and we start walking because we're going to walk into the front door. So the, the Manhattan center and uh, people are already lined up. People are already lined up. And most of the people in the line that, that morning were like people who just go to our shows. You know, I remember seeing a, you know, super fan, you know, Mary Kate, you know, in the front row there. And, uh, and each W camp broke out as we're walking to the building. I, I, I kind of, I want to say we, we felt like astronauts going up to the, uh, <laughs> see, see when the astronauts they do that walk when they're going into the space shuttle and you yeah. know, they do the little wave to the thing and then they go into the space shuttle and stuff like that. That was us. We were like the astronauts walking down the street in slow motion, you know, oh, some Apollo, kind of, Apollo yeah. Raw's war. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Apollo ECW. But, uh, just, uh, but, uh, I, yeah, it was like the coolest thing. And then, um, we get we go up. Uh, some of us went up to the elevator. Some of us went up the steps because those elevators were not having any of it. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like one of those old elevators, something like that, right? It's, it's like an elevator. You threw a rock over the side and it lifted you up, like you know, in the Flintstones kind Yikes. of thing. You know, it's like one of those kind of elevators. So we get there and we go into the arena section, and it was you know so it's pretty surreal because like I've been watching Raw every week. And uh, at this point, they had graduated to doing arenas, but you know they went back to the Manhattan Center for this one. And um, uh, what you call it? It was just surreal to see. You know, you're used to the one angle of the Manhattan Center where you get a balcony, a balcony, and a stage. Where to turn around and see where the hard cameras and other stuff was. That was pretty cool to see that perspective of the uh, the building. You, you saw the four, you know, behind the fourth wall. So, uh, and, and uh, you know, we walked around, you know, we, we introduced ourselves to, you know, at least I did. I went around and, you know, said hello to everybody and stuff like that. And uh, it was kind of like a split crew because at that time, that week, WWE had like another crew over in Germany or something mm-hmm. like that. So, like, there's, you know, there's a few, you know, familiar faces and stuff like that. But uh, we get there, we introduce ourselves, and they tried to find us a dressing room. So, like ants marching, we go up this, you know, one flight of steps, and we're all, we go all the way up these flight of steps to where the, the dressing room's supposed to be. And somebody goes, "Oh no, no, no! You guys are in this other part of the the, the uh, arena." And Taz goes, "Oh, the ribs are starting already, brother! The rib, the rib is already, brother! Here we go!" You know. And then we get to the other part of the building, and it's like. Oh no no no! You're supposed to be another, and we're like, oh come on. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to ask, like, what was the reception like? Because you know, this is still it's '97, it's early '97, and it's like in the thick of like the Monday Night War with them and ECW. But here you guys stroll in this other promotion with your ECW jackets on, feeling like you're feeling good, feeling like hot shots, and you come rolling into their territory. Did you get like an icy reception? And how did you guys feel knowing that? They're your competition as well. Like you're kind, of, you're trying to kind of like topple them to a certain extent, but you're kind of working with them at the same time. Well, I don't think any of the boys thought we were trying to topple them at all. Uh, okay. But like, yeah, everybody was cool. Like, you know, the Godwins were all, you know, they're always super cool. The Godwins were super cool. Uh, met the Blackjacks, you know, which was Windham and 
JBL. And, uh, I mean, everybody was just cool. Everybody was just chill. And then uh, we go about our business. You know, we, you know, they're like, oh, there's catering over. <laughs> this is my favorite story. It's like, you know, we, we were feeling a little tense because, you know, this is a big thing for us. You know, we're like thinking, uh, you know, there could be a rib at any moment. So we walk into catering and we're walking around and all that stuff. I'm just standing there. I, I remember Dreamer coming up to me. He goes, Meanie, I'm trying to keep my game face on, but they got cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little tension breaker. It's like you're like, you know, Tommy's, you know, very stoic, you know, very one tone in his voice. Meanie, I, uh, I'm trying to keep my game face on, but they got cheesecake. <laughs> it was the best. It's like uh, something like, you know, somebody says something at the most opportune time. And yeah. that line just always stuck with me for years. You know, I love <laughs> Now we know how to break Tommy Dreamer to give him some cheesecake and he'll break. He'll right. Tommy. And, and if he, you follow him on Instagram, get him, get him Oreo cookies too. He's like, <laughs> with all he these flavor. What's that? Did he go and get some? Oh, who? Did he get uh, Dreamer? What? Did he get some cheesecake? Oh, I'm pretty sure he did. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he did. I mean, you know what? Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. Before I left ECW for WWE, I was, I was uh, you know, trying to lose weight. I lost like maybe 50, 60 pounds. And growing up, you know, I didn't grow up, you know, in the richest of households, but we got by. But, you know, you know, I was doing so good on my diet and I went to WWE and I, I went to their catering. I was like, <laughs> all the, I was like, all this stuff is free. You know, <laughs> You know, as somebody who's never had, you know, went to a catered event, you know, other than maybe like a wedding, I was, I was like, I was like, I'm shoving Snapples in my pockets, and you know, uh, I, I was that close to bringing Tupperware, you know, just to, <laughs> because WWE catering is no joke, you know. Oh, we heard, mean, yeah, we've seen a lot of backstage segments. <laughs> show plenty of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but uh, yeah, just uh, just that moment, like it was like a, a cool little. Uh, tension breaker. No, you know, first Taz with the other oh, ribbonists already, brother. The ribbonists already. <laughs> and then Taz coming, meaning they have cheesecake. <laughs> one of my favorite lines you know, just of all time, you know. Well, that was your first, that was your first kind of appearance on Raw officially. But what was, what about the March uh, 10th episode of Raw, Nick? Yeah, well, actually, yeah. Uh, 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 we're talking, still talking about the Manhattan Center one, right? We, we can. You actually, the first ECW match you played, you played a role in in, the, in that because uh, Stevie Richards and Little Guido had a match. It was the oh, ECW, uh, you know, their first like showcase, uh, ECW versus ECW, and you were in Stevie Richards' corner. So, talk a little bit about that. When I think you guys interrupted, uh, uh, or they were talking about commentary, and you guys kind of stormed the ring, right? You came out of the crowd or something like that. Because uh, oh, well, I remember the camera found you like right away. Well, I'm kind of hard to miss. I'm like a giant, <laughs> giant blue light, you know, just, you know, hovering through the crowd. But uh, now that it's like they went to a commercial, like we we got like you know, before the show, we figured found out you know Stevie was working Guido, which made sense, and uh, you know we went over you know ideas for the match, and then you know you go in the back, you get geared up, you get painted up, you know, you know get your stuff on, and. Uh, we're like, you know, we usually, uh, you know, first of all, it, <laughs> like when the BWO first came out, you know, I had the BWO song, which was 
basically just my friends jamming in a practice space through a, a boom box. So I had this cassette. So I was like, Oh, uh, here's my ring music. Like I'm at an indie show. <laughs> I'm giving the production manager a cassette. I'm like, Hey, uh, here, well, we'll figure a way to try to, you know, they, they're like, how do we get this through the TV system? Cause they're used to whatever they're using at the time. And then, uh, we're like, yeah, we come through the crowd. So we're trying to try figure out the best way. So there's a way you could go from like one part of the locker room underneath the bleachers. And then you went, basically went into what was the uh, production. You know, well, you didn't have a production truck there, but it was like a production center. You walk in, it's just this wall of monitors and you can, you know, there's camera A, there's camera B and camera C. And like you walk in and you kind of just like we frozen our tracks. We're like, you know, like you know, Beavis and Butthead, just like, uh. <laughs> and like these people are directing the show, or like, who are these three guys just standing behind us while they're trying to produce the show? They're like, oh, uh, we gotta go out this way, and they're like, yeah, well, you just go over there. <laughs> <laughs> so we go over to like the door where you know, uh, you know, we were going to come through. And we just waited for our cue. And uh, our cue was, you know, they went to a commercial break. They come back from commercial and, uh, you know, Paulie's in the ring. And then Paulie was the one who introduced, gave us our ring introduction. And then, the, you know, the the BWO theme hit, which the set work. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, we went through, it was, like a, it was like a double door. We went through that. And it's like, I was in good. I was in decent shape. I didn't look, you know. I look. I didn't look like should been a, a box of Wheaties or anything. But I was, I was in decent shape for you know ring shape and stuff like that. But I just got winded strictly from nerves, mm-hmm. where like your nerves are so bad that like you kind of like hyperventilate a little bit, and uh, like my mouth got dry and like my heart was pounding in my chest. My face felt like it was on fire. Like. Just like <laughs> like like a, a nervousness and stuff like that, mm. but once we got through that crowd and went to go hop that guardrail, it's like it's a, a, a flip, a, a switch flips, and you're just in the zone. And uh, you get the, the, the one thing I I, I I I'm my own worst critic, and when I watch back to that segment, I, I learned about you know, I mean, because in ECW we played to the hard camp, but like we're on. I'm so used to, like, if the hard cam didn't catch something, a ringside camera would find it and stuff like But we're on live TV, and, you know, we're, like, yelling at, you know, uh, Jerry Lawler. And I, I, I get so mad at myself because they kept stepping in, you know, Stevie's way. You know, and I'm kind of a big dude, so, like, he could kind of get lost behind me. So, like, there's a couple times where you see me step forward, and, you know, you see, you see Stevie give me the, oh, step back, buddy. You're in my, you're in my shot. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool and uh, surreal. I mean, we're basically in the ring looking down at Jerry Lawler and Vince McMahon. That's so, crazy. Yeah, man. You know, you grow up, you know, in Philly, you know, grow up watching, you know, Vince as your, you know, voice of wrestling every week. And then there you are. And there's the man. And, uh, and they're talking about you, whether like, you're looking at him. Like, yeah, yeah. They're talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the one thing. Like, you don't know what to say in a commentary because the, you know, it doesn't get played out over the arena, right. so you're like, you know, you're excited to get home and watch it. But, uh, you know, 
And if you if you go to uh, I think it's you go to rvideo.com by the best blue award order. Rob Feinstein, who was playing uh, six pack, we called him Seven Eleven. He's got, and <laughs> he had like at the time uh, six had uh, a camcorder they would take to the ring. So yeah. we're like, well, Feinstein's filming at ringside, for he's doing all the fan cams. It only makes natural sense that he be Seven Eleven. So he's got the handheld footage mm-hmm. of you know us behind you know backstage at uh. Monday Night Raw, and then, like, the stuff in the ring and stuff like that. But, like, after the match, we, you know, go, you know, back through where we came from, hop the rail back, and you just, you know, he comes through and he's filming, and I'm just doubled over because, you know, I was still, you know, my nerves were still shot. Like, yeah, you come through and you're just like, okay, okay, I'm back, you know, woo. And uh, I'm just doubled over from nerves. Nerves. My nerves were off the charts. But uh, yeah, that uh, was just the first ECW segment. You still had Taz and Mikey Whipwreck. Uh, I'm sure, even though like you were a part of the first segment with the BWO, you still kind of yeah. felt part of like the other ECW segments because you know, Tommy Dreamer and Devon Dudley, you know, two two of the biggest names in ECW at the time. Uh, yeah. You know that that was the third match, and I don't think there was any more because that's all I could find. But um, coming out of that show, like, what did the atmosphere around ECW feel like? Did you guys think it was a home run? Were you, were you like, we could have done this better, we could have done that better, or were you like, it could have, couldn't have gone any better? Well, uh, after uh, the show went off air, we all went and got dressed, and we're all waiting to leave. Uh, you know, Paulie had us all line up, and uh, we're in the gorilla position, and it's like we're all there and we're all going to shake Vince McMahon's hand and, you know, you know, say, Hey, you know, thank you. Stuff like that. So like, you know, it's like kind of like having a meeting with the Pope, you know, where you're just <laughs> like, you're, you're just in this line. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Did, did he snatch I, your hand? He snatch his hand away like the Pope did a couple weeks ago with that video. And he's like snatching it from everybody. <laughs> oh, man, that. That's great. No, I shook his hand. And he went, I, I shook his hand. I was like, thanks for having us. He went, ha ha meanie. <laughs> that's it this, as i paulie went uh vince this is the blue meanie he goes ha, ha, meanie you know give me that give me the big vince grinning handshake and it was it was awesome it was awesome you know uh it's the first time i met you know vince as being part of you know the business you know i've met him once as a fan and when vince is in the room he's you definitely even if your back was to the door if you walk through the door, you could feel him walk through the door mm-hmm. because he's just got that persona. But uh, the feeling after that, uh, I want to say our next show was in Jim Thorpe. And uh, like everybody, the big, like Bubba, we ran to Bubba at like a gas station on the way up and he started ribbing Stevie because I hop over the rail and then you see Stevie come over the rail and you see him kind of give me a little shove like because he's amped up too. And Bubba started ribbing Stevie for, uh, oh yeah, you see uh, Stevie push Meanie out of the way, and you know, I ribbing him and all that stuff. But we get to, uh, we got to, uh, we were wrestling Jim Thorpe on the top of the mountain. I forget what the name of the place is, but uh, Paulie informs us that the BWO segment, which was like a quarter hour, wherever that quarter hour was, the BWO segment beat Nitro in the ratings. Oh, uh, money now. And, 
So then everybody started calling Stevie Richards. Hey, what's up, ratings? Hey, what's up, ratings? How you doing, ratings? So that was that was like a pretty cool accomplishment, you know, that the the parody of the uh, NWO, the BWO, you know, got higher ratings than WCW for that right. one quarter hour. And WCW, know? that's nothing to sneeze at. Because WCW was rolling hot in the early '97, yeah. so oh, yeah. like this is a downtime. We just talked about, you know, this is the, in the thick of the Monday Night War, and y'all beat WCW when they had. NWO, they had Sting, you know, well, Sting probably hanging up in the racks by that point, but still, yeah. they had a lot going on at that point. I, I, I can just imagine, like, you know, these guys come out and mock NWO shirts, and people call their friends, hey, man, look at this, they're making fun of the NWO on TV, and maybe people switched over for that, you know, maybe. whatever couple yeah. minutes we were on there, but it, it was pretty cool. But, hey, uh, from there, yeah, but from there... BWO yeah. t-shirt, my first purchase, my first CCW yeah. shirt, so it was a big deal, man. Yeah. <laughs> It's amazing that, you know, people still, you know, rock those shirts, you know, at pay-per-views and uh, mm-hmm. Monday Night Raws. I had a friend who went to WrestleMania last weekend, and he sent me a photo. There was, like, a group of eight guys wearing BWO shirts, and, <laughs> and they ran into two other guys who were dressed like me in uh, Hollywood Nova. It's, it's <laughs> bizarre. It's, it's awesome, but bizarre. Hey, as long as you're buying them shirts from Blue Meanie's website and Blue Meanie's Pro Wrestling and the T-Store, it's all right. <laughs> Yes, sir. Yeah. Support the meaning, but uh, <laughs> that's not why I'm here. But uh, <laughs> maybe it is. No, I'm just yes, now no, you no, you no, had no. mentioned you had mentioned on the, that episode of Raw the ECW invasion. It was kind of like a half split roster because a lot of WWF guys were over in Germany. Now yeah. after this, uh, Raw was kind of. I think they had two episodes from Germany. Maybe it was just one, but uh, ECW wouldn't have another. Uh, kind of like a, another appearance on Raw until March 10th, which is the infamous Jerry Lawler, uh, Paul Heyman debate where Jim Ross was like the mediator and everything. And really, I, I didn't... I, obviously, I love the ECW invasion more as a fan. Uh, I love that episode of Raw more. This kind of... It, it didn't do a, a lot for me to push the pay-per-view because I, I think at this point... Uh, Anyone who was interested in the pay-per-view was going to buy it anyway. But obviously, I understand the way TV works. Uh, promote, promote, promote as much as you can. And uh, really, Jerry Lawler was the 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 villain for ECW. ECW fans, everyone in ECW, Paul Heyman, all the wrestlers. Like, So this really kind of set up something in the future for after WrestleMania, after Barely Legal. Uh, actually, I think... Jerry Lawler appeared in at the ECW arena in June. Yeah. It was like WrestlePalooza, yeah. right? So this happened in March 10th, and Jerry Lawler wouldn't appear on ECW TV until June. So can you just like talk about the the I guess the debate uh, segment? Uh, did you were, were you there? Did you, did you uh, or that- were you watching? And like how how did that come across to you guys? Uh, I, I definitely agree that the first. ECW invasion was a little bit more special, probably because the, the, the setting was a little bit more intimate. And, uh, you know, the Manhattan Center was kind of you know, like a mini, was like an extension of, you know, the ECW crowd, the ECW arena crowd. And there's also like uh, the building in Queens we, we would run, you know, we, we were running Queens. Uh, uh, I'm blanking on the name. Oh my god! Elks Lodge, something like that. Elks Lodge Lodge in Queens. Yeah, it was kind of a similar setup to the Elks Lodge in Queens. So, uh, 
uh, what you call it? Uh, but when we went to do the, the, the second one, uh, which I wasn't booked at, it's fine. But uh, I think the fact that it was like in a larger arena. Mm. Yeah, and, that's when uh, Raw started kind of expanding their look. They changed their look. They were in bigger arenas, so it was it was definitely a different uh, visual than the Manhattan Center. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was just. The surroundings and the settings, uh, kind of, it, it didn't have that same feel as the first time. Yeah, like different crowd, uh, different crowd but, too. Yeah. But it definitely helped. You know, that Lawler was anti ECW because, I mean, if he's a heel and he's, you know, against something, mm-hmm. then you know most most casual fans goes, oh well, I better check it out. If Jerry Lawler hates it. You know, I'm going to watch it despite Jerry Lawler or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, it's like yeah. uh there, there's a story where uh, there's a heel. Sorry, I can't think of his name. Might have been Sean, this guy, Sean Casey or whatever. And uh, he had photos out at his gimmick table. And a fan went over and bought one of his 8 by 10s and came up to the ring and held up this photo and just ripped it. Wow. And, 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 and the wrestler was smart enough because don't anybody else rip my 8 by 10s Everybody went over and bought the 8x10 and <laughs> went to rip him. And he's pretended to be outraged at this. And the more outraged, the more people went over and bought 8x10. So that night he sold all his 8x10s. So that's great. To make, to make that comparison, if Jerry Lawler goes, don't, this pay per view is going to suck. Uh, you know, ECW, extremely crappy wrestling. Most fans go, yeah. Well, screw you, Jerry Lawler. I'm going to watch it anyway. So that was me. <laughs> yeah, the fact that Jerry was anti Jerry Lawler was anti ECW probably you know helped ECW in the long run as well. It's funny that he was anti ECW because it's not like he didn't have some blood and guts type of matches back in the day in Memphis. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, I just watched the empty arena match with him and Terry Funk. He stuck a spike in Terry Funk's eye. Like, it wasn't like he was like, above that type of stuff. Right. Like, Memphis is known for some of those types of matches. Well, people say kayfabe's dead, but like that Jerry definitely, you know, was a good kayfaber. And as oh, yeah. much as he says, he says he really, really, really hated ECW. I mean, we were backstage, you know, when he came to the arena, as you know, when the lights went out and Lawler came out, oh, and man. stuff like that. Great moment. We were back. We were backstage. He's like, "Hey, Brian, how you doing?" And we're just sitting there, you know, chit chatting, you know. And then he goes out there, nearly causes a riot, comes back, "Hey, how you doing?" You know. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much a facade, but he was so believable in the delivery. And, like, if you asked him, like, right now, you know, he'd keep up the kayfabe and go, oh, yeah, I really hated it. You know, (laughs) he's old old school like that. But, you know, and here I am blowing his cover, killing his kayfabe. But, you know, know, he definitely helped ECW. Or else he wouldn't have went and done the the, the, uh, Living Dangerously pay-per-view in in Florida. So, you know, just – he, uh, he would there wouldn't have been anyone better, right, for WWF to really put in the forefront? Like, was Jerry Lawler was kind of the perfect guy, wasn't he? I think Cornette would have been perfect grid too, for it because he yeah. he he seems like a guy that doesn't like he, it either. He, he, they could have had Cornette manage Jerry Lawler. That would have you know that that, that oh, would have yeah. had a huge ride at the East of Arena or any amazing. arena. Didn't Cornette show up there one time? I thought Cornette showed up there. One yeah, time. yeah, yeah. The, so. the one month they did the uh, lights on, lights off. It was Jerry Lawler, and then maybe I think I'm getting the sequence out of out of line. But another month, lights on, lights off, and it was uh, Cornette, and uh, 
he uh, hit Tommy Dreamer with the tennis racket, and then uh, somebody took it. Or and then, then well, the month before, I'm getting it out. I'm getting a little bit confused. See, it's one thing you know to uh, watch it on TV, but when you're living it and you're going show to show, mm-hmm. sometimes I need you know a fan to go, "Oh no, this is what happened." Right. But uh, and then the uh, the, the one time uh, Jerry uh, Jerry Lawler Singapore came Tommy in the nuts. Yeah, and, and Tommy had to get, had to get rushed to the hospital because you know did some damage to the uh, Jim and the Twins there. You know, <laughs> yeah. And when did the idea come about to kind of have EC like a select few ECW wrestlers align with Lawler? Because you had Sabu and Rob Van Dam, kind of like the they were pro WWF in, in ECW. Was that kind of thought about beforehand, or did it just kind of happen organically? Well, the whole uh, Rob Van Dam being pro WWE kind of was spawned off of the fact that he wasn't even scheduled for the first ECW pay-per-view. So, like, he had his match, and he was like, you know, he went and grabbed the microphone and did this, like, promo going, you know, uh, you know, not only is, you know, uh, this win make, you know, me more valuable here, but it makes me more valuable elsewhere. And then, you know, that's that's when, you know, he started becoming, you know, Mr. Monday Night. And then, uh, you know, Candido helped, uh, you know, went to the, one of the TVs and WWE TVs and got the old school WWE flag. Yeah, man. And he, he brought that down that for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, he, he, you know, Candido secured the flag for, uh, you know, got the flag for them to use on, w, uh, on ECW shows and yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah, that whole... Pro WWE, you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Monday Night spawned out of him, you know, not being scheduled for, you know, the first ever ECW pay-per-view. Yeah, so ECW's last real appearance was at that March 10th Raw. Uh, it wouldn't be till a month later where Barely Legal would happen at the ECW arena. So in those, in those weeks leading up, uh, I know there were TVs and everything like that, house shows. Uh what was the atmosphere like heading to the pay-per-view that that weekend? Uh, it was Sunday night. So like you were, you were on the same night as WCW, same night as WWF. Uh, what was the atmosphere like leading into the pay-per-view? And then uh, we'll, we'll talk about the pay-per-view itself. Uh, this lead, that week leading in, it was just, you're a bundle of nerves, you know, you know, what's my, you know, uh, you know, what's going to be the match, who's going to win, all this stuff. And then, uh, you know, I got, I got to dye my hair blue. I got to do this. <laughs> I got to do that. I got, I got a fresh new pair of Daisy Dukes, you know, just <laughs> stuff like that. But, uh, I got nah, a fresh yeah. pair of Daisy Dukes for the pay-per-view. I mean, come on. That's right. Yeah, man. Got to show off them cheeks. But, uh, <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> now, um, no, no, it was, it's very serious. It's very serious. Uh, and didn't really hit till like you know the night before we we had the Terry Funk banquet mm-hmm. because I guess this was going to be one of you know Terry's million you know retirements or whatever I don't know but it, it was a cool thing for all of us to uh, put on our our best outfit you know, our best you know suits and stuff like that and celebrate the life of the man who I mean Terry Funk was another main reason why ECW became legitimate. You know, Terry Funk going to ECW is kind of like Jim Tomey going to the Phillies. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Just like, yeah, kind of kickstarted the whole era. Yeah. Yeah. It, he, an he cool. yeah, he made it cool for, you know, people to want to, 
go to ECW and, you know, they, you know, cause you know, back then, like there would be an indie and guys would just go to the indie and, you know, goof off and, uh, this is just an indie show. I'll have fun. I'll get paid or whatever. But Terry Funk made it so that people came to ECW and wanted to really contribute and they didn't treat it like it was just another indie show. They just wanted to, they treat it like this could be something viable. And Terry Funk was the main reason why, you know, one of the main reasons why, you know, ECW thrived. So it only made sense the night before the very first pay-per-view, which probably wouldn't have happened if Terry Funk hadn't treated ECW with such great esteem that we celebrate, you know, his life and his career with, I think his his wife and daughters were there as well and stuff like that. And His wife just passed uh, away recently. So I'm, for, I'm fortunate. Yeah, Donald's is Terry Funk. Uh, yeah, his wife just passed away recently. Vicky uh, was such a sweet woman. Uh, you know, such a such a, a southern southern belle, if you want to say that. Just like she she had the sweetest voice. She had the best smile. She always greeted you like a, a family member. Uh, last time I saw Vicky Funk was uh, they, they 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 had a like a wrestle reunion and at Valley Forge maybe back in 05 or something like that. And Terry was there and Vicky was there. That's the last time I got to see her. And I, I wish I could have seen her one more time, but she always treated me with the, you know, the utmost respect and uh, my heart breaks for Terry. Yeah. You know? As you said, you know, his family, you know, it's all about that. They, they went through the wrestling business along with him for all those years. And he was all about ECW, like you said, and he helped I, pretty much get that, promotion off the ground to get to pay-per-view at least. And, and I say this all the time, you know, you know, the wrestlers go, Oh, I paid my dues. Well, you know what? Sometimes the family pays dues as well. You know, oh, yeah. you know, my family paid dues while I was off, you know, having my, you know, doing my wrestling ho- hobby, which they, you know, they're like, Oh, he'll do it for a couple of years and then he'll get a real job. And then, you know, I was able to go to WWF and I said, Hey, put all the bills in my name. So, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the night before was an awesome experience. You know where we, you know, celebrated the night, the the life of Terry Funk. Uh, but then, the, like the next day comes around, and uh, we we, we kind of had to get used to the 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 format of television, kind much like you know, uh, Raw smartened us up to you know when you gotta do it like you know, with, with a regular ECW show, even though if it was a TV tape and you showed up at like five or six. You know, stuff like that. But, you know, with, you know, doing Raw and doing our own pay-per-view, we had we all we had a call time at like 1 p.m. Because, you know, just to go over, you know, format, uh, do any pre-tapes that need to be done, stuff like that. You know, back, you know, with our original format with the syndicated TV, we would do the show and then like promos would be done after the show, you know, where we didn't have to, you know, we didn't have to worry about being there at one o'clock to do a promo because Paulie would, you know, uh, you know, have us at either the travel lodge or, you know, backstage at DCW arena, you know, all sitting around, you know, waiting to get paid and waiting to do our promo. So we got a, a lesson in, in how television production worked because we had to be there like uh, at 1 PM. And one of the, the main thing, it was like so weird walking into the ECW arena on that Sunday because you know, where we're used to, we were used to people lining up outside the show, but there was like a lot more people outside. There was like huge, a huge satellite truck and there was like barricades. And you went, you know, usually for an ECW arena show, 
people would be lined up and, you know, go to the side door, bang on, and they, they would let you in because there was no back door at the time. So you're basically going in through the fence. But now they had this barricade. It was all fancy. There were cops out there and all this good stuff. And I was like, oh, man, this is cool. So you get to the arena. And like <laughs> one of the funniest things, like everybody, you know, points out, they're like, yeah, man, the, the arena looked really clean. They painted the floors and everything. <laughs> they painted they, the they paint like guys. DCW Arena was a dump, right? You know, <laughs> we, we've all been there. You know, the, the floor was like this big, dirty floor. The bathroom was horrible. And at the end of the night, you know, all three toilets were probably overflowing into the rest of the bathroom or whatever. You know, somebody making a three layer cake in the toilet or whatever. Just, <laughs> just, just, <laughs> the, the arena was horrible. But you walk in, and you're, it smells clean, it's well lit. You're like, <laughs> oh my God. It's like Wayne's World, we know when they go in to do their first taping for Noah's Arcade, they're like, this is Wayne's basement, but this isn't Wayne's basement, you know? Just... <laughs> so, yeah, everybody's like, oh, man, they, they, they painted the floor. So <laughs> that's like one of the, 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 one of the most, most the, the, the crazier things that stick, that stick out to me. But uh, also another thing uh, to mention, uh, the, the film crew for uh, Beyond the Mat was there filming for uh they were filming the night before at the uh terry funk banquet and then uh they're just floating around just filming everybody uh we all signed releases and stuff like that and uh it's pretty cool uh, barry blaustein was there uh, he had his film crew and uh just go everybody was there and the cool thing about that uh the woman who helped get me into wrestling uh phyllis lee she was there which uh, was pretty cool as well, too, you know. So here, you know, I'm going to be on my first ever pay-per-view, and the, the woman who helped get me into the wrestling business is going to be there as well. So that I thought that was a cool little, you know, personal moment as well. So, uh, But everybody was just it – was, it was a little bit tense. It was a little bit tense. You know, huh. the, you know, you know, guys were pacing. Uh, guys were just like – it's like, you know, I mean, I mean, we knew what we had to do, you know, uh, th- th- there's a saying, you only get one chance to make a first impression, you know, and, uh, you know, there's people who wanted to do us well, and I'm sure there's people who wanted to see us fail as well, you know, whether it be WCW or yeah. you know, the, the anti-hardcore people. And the funny thing is, Monday night, uh, another reason why we're all a little bit tense, our pay-per-view was Sunday at the arena. Monday night in Philly was going to be a, a live nitro. So mm-hmm. er, everybody was on edge. Like, are they going to come by and sabotage our show? Oh, wow. Because that's, it's not a above an, a, a promoter to sabotage, sabotage another, you know, promoters, you know, building, whether it's, you know, uh, something mysteriously happens to the plumbing and the building gets flooded and the show has to get canceled <laughs> or something like that. Wink, wink. You know, oh, it's stuff like stuff like that's happened. So the fact that Nitro purposely scheduled a Nitro the night night after our first ever pay per view has a little bit suspicious, you know. <laughs> so. And you talked about you know knowing like you kind of had to deliver. WWF was coming off WrestleMania, you know, their biggest pay per view, and yeah, it was like a down year, but it was still WrestleMania, and you had some big moments there. WCWs and its glory day right there 1997 spring stampede was coming up a uh, big pay-per-view for them so you guys were kind of like you know you had to compete with 
two monster organizations and uh it really was one of the best pay-per-views i've i've ever seen and uh you know and i it was like perfect you know you had seven matches uh including a dark match so it was kind of like i like three hour type pay-per-views like i know we make a big deal about how long wwe shows are nowadays uh and it's just because i ha- i want to go to bed early you got write about it and then wake up early like it's all yeah. that stuff that's all it has to do with um did you guys know like the the time you needed like did you think you were gonna go past like three hours or were you like did you know like we're gonna do it like wwf does it we're gonna do it like wcw does it we're gonna have three hours we're gonna do whatever we can do in that a lot of time and were you guys as a group watching from the back like every single moment uh were you together or like how how was all that that atmosphere backstage at the beginning of the show middle of the show end of the show uh i i distinctly just remember us it, it kind of like as the show went on it kind of felt like you know a, a little bit of a sense of normalcy started kicking in because you know uh, as you watched in uh, Beyond the Mat, just like every arena show, we sat around the monitor and watched each other's matches. Somebody did good, we popped for them, you know. Or somebody not, you know, if somebody did something that wasn't that well, we'd be like, oh, man, come on, you can do better. You know, stuff like that. You know, everybody everybody was there, you know, to give, you know, good feedback, you know, moral support and, and feedback. So it started getting to the point where, you know, you know, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, that aware of, you know, the time until, you know, start stuff started getting, you know, ready for our match. Uh, well, Stevie's match. I wasn't in the match. I was, you know, cheerleader on the outside. <laughs> for Stevie, Sandman, and Terry. Yeah. Terry, yeah, three-way dance. It, it, was, it, was, it was to the point where um, we're, at, we're at ringside. And uh, Todd Gordon, you know, slips out, at, you know, ringside, and he comes up to me and he goes, "Meanie, tell him to go home. You know, tell him to, to finish the match. We're running out of time. We're running out of time." So I'm, you know, leaning into the ring without being, you know, noticeable. Going, you know, take it home, guys. You know, you gotta, mm-hmm. gotta finish the match. And uh, if you look over at the. Uh, uh, the the, uh, the timekeeper's table, where you know, uh, not only at the ring announcer, but you know, uh, the the, the timekeeper uh, Rocky, yeah, uh, Rocky, uh, he's Bob Ortiz's brother. He's standing there. He's trying to signal to him, "Hey, got to wrap this thing up," because if you go any longer, the, the you're you're not going to have you know, you're going to run out satellite time. Mm-hmm. And nobody's going to see the main event. So that's when it got a little bit. I mean, we were tense, we were nervous, but then that became the oh shit. So <laughs> you know, if uh, and that's when you know, uh, eventually you know, Steve got eliminated, and we went to the back, and then we we're in the back watching, and everybody's freaking out a little bit, and then um, you know, we're counting down, and then like when the pinfall happened, not only did the arena erupt, because honestly, I, nobody, re- I didn't really know the, the finish of Raven. Terry Funk. I knew we were getting eliminated. I knew, you know, uh, I knew, you know, uh, Terry was going on to the main event, but I didn't know Terry Funk was going to win the world heavyweight title. Mm-hmm. So when he hit that, you know, small package, one, two, three, not only did the, you know, the audience, 
break out into applause. The locker room broke out into applause too, because you know it. It was only you know, only right that the guy, like I said, Terry Punk, made ECW legitimate. You know what better way to you know celebrate his life to have the banquet, and then next night, you know, he's, he's the, a uh, the, 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 he's a champion of the promotion that he made legitimate. So, uh, and then you know, thirty seconds later, the, the generator blows. <laughs> and, and the power and the, and the power in the building goes out, so it's just like that was when Nitro uh, showed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like the, it's like the movie Airplane when the uh, the whole uh, the, the airport lights goes out and you see the guy standing there with the plug on. <laughs> well, you see Eric, you see Eric Bischoff with the plug on. <laughs> yeah, show's over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, threats. You know, I missed it by that much. You're listening to The Straight Shooters, featuring Vaughn Johnson and Nick Picone, giving you the best and worst in the world of professional wrestling past and present. The Straight Shooters podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, the Radio.com app, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. You can become a patron of The Straight Shooters for only $2 per month by signing up at patreon.com forward slash shooters radio. You'll get exclusive content never before heard from two of the best. You can also listen to classic episodes of The Straight Shooters at shootersradio.com. I wanted to kind of take you back to the beginning of the show, before the show, actually, because I know we talked about the whole end of the show with Terry Funk, but we, we saw him beyond the mat, and you mentioned that earlier. Paul Hammond's on top of that perch. It's giving yeah. y'all the, the speech, the, the motivational speech. What was that like? What was being in that room? What was going through your mind? You know, when he's up on that perch, giving those speech, giving that speech, and he's probably done that multiple times. So, so what was was it different from the other ones? Just this one more epic? Like, talk talk about that speech that Paul Hammond gave before that show. Uh, it definitely got us in, in, in into the that speech. Definitely got us into the right uh, frame of mind. Because, like, like I said, you get to the building, you know, most of these W shows, everybody's loose, they're cracking jokes, pulling ribs, whatever. Everybody's just, just like, you know, stone face, kind of just like, you know, you know, just, you know, quiet. And then, you know, once that, that speech hit, you'd see him beyond, beyond the mat, you know, we, we all just, you know, applaud it. And we're just like, all right. You know, it's game time. You know, it's just like, you know, it's like when you see a quarterback giving a speech in the tunnel right before they run out to hit the field, you know, yep. whether it's Carson Wentz, you know, saying, hey, guys, we got to, you know, do this thing. And, you know, you know, teammate on teamwork on three, you know, one, two, three, teamwork. And then, you know, you run off to the field that, you know, that this is the dance speech really put us in that, that, that mind frame, you know, of this is real, this is happening. And we're going to deliver. We have to deliver because if we don't, we fail on this one, there won't be another one. So, and, and it's just like, it's almost surreal. Cause like, you know, I watch it back and it's just like, you know, I, I, I get that it's when I watch it on tape all these years later, I still, it still stirs up those emotions to where, you know, 
you know, you, you, you kind of get, you know, you well up inside. You don't want to cry, but you're just like so prideful and so, you know, intent on doing the best you can because, you know, uh, it's, it was a privilege to be on that pay-per-view. I mean, there's so many people who want to be on that pay-per-view. And even though I was only managing, I was on the pay-per-view. You were in one of the main events. You were on the big cards. Yeah, right. Exactly. I was was part of the main event of the first ever ECW pay-per-view. Just like, you know, how I felt privileged to be, you know, managing Goldust at WrestleMania 15 in South Philly. You know, I might not have been, you know, there's so many people who would, you know, you know, tripped me and you know t- tried to take my spot just to manage gold that's what they do for the inter- intercontinental title so you know just to be ringside for the because you, know, you get you only get a chance to make history you know certain you know you know so you only get a chance to make certain uh milestones that's where i was looking for you, you, you can only make so many milestones for the first time that was a major milestone being on the, on the first pay per view. So uh, that that let you know this is the dance speech. Really, just lit a. I mean, we didn't really didn't need need that much motivation. Whoever was left to motivate that put us over the top. This is the dance. Talk about just kind of the emotions after the show. You know, obviously Terry Funk got the triumphant moment. And everybody's happy for him. But what about like when you guys leave the arena and you're off to the you know either the next town or you're ha- you're staying in Philly and partying that night, whatever the case may be. What was what was going through your mind after the show? What was kind of like the feeling amongst the boys and the guys and the gals about like what just happened? Dude, I was standing you know two feet from uh, Joey Styles when he bra- Joey Styles just broke down in tears. He was just standing there, just like 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 his face was just like you know. If, if anybody sees me, you know, mouth open, just arms out like, oh, my God. And then, like, you know, he kind of puts his fingers under his glasses and just starts openly weeping because he got the call, the first ever ECW pay-per-view, pretty much by himself. They wanted, you know, each uh, Joey Styles was, was always a solo act. And, yeah, you know, Dreamer came out later and, you know, Beulah and stuff like that came out, uh, you know, to help do, you know, play-by-play during the – you know, one of the other matches, but, you know, they wanted, you know, the, the, the pay-per-view company initially wasn't, you know, you know, uh, was a thrill with just having a, a one-man announce team. And, uh, you know, Paulie, you know, even said, hey, you can take this pay-per-view and shove it. He's going to be, you know, Joe Styles is going to be the play-by-play guy. He's going to do it by himself because that's what ECW is. So, you know, it was emotional. You know, just like, Joey started, you know, weeping out of, you know, just pride, you know, and the accomplishment he did, you know, everybody went over and, you know, put their arms around him and stuff like that. And then you had, you know, everybody just, you know, stood around and just like, we did. I mean, it's like, it wasn't like we're doing cartwheels, but we're just like, that was awesome. (laughs) And then like, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure we all did our usual. We went to the, uh, you know, the Holiday Inn uh, on Packer Ave, which just got knocked down. And, yeah, you saw a picture uh, of that? Got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, it's it's totally gone now. Oh, man. But, I saw a picture of yeah, that. Yeah. Week and it was gutted, but yeah, now it's gone. Oh, yeah. It, it's, 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 it's totally flattened now, but yeah. 
They're false could talk. Yeah. <laughs> would they just talk or they would just make a bunch of other crazy sounds? <laughs> I, I, maybe it's a good thing they didn't use dynamite on that place. If that whatever was in those walls went up in the air, you know. Just, you know? Wow. <laughs> there would have been the outbreak for the Walking Dead or something like that. Man. I don't know. You know? P- people just running around like Balls Mahoney going, Focal Boy! You know? Just, uh, <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, actually, uh, today's uh, as we record this today is Balls Mahoney's birthday. Rest in peace. Hey, also, yeah. happy birthday to yeah. Balls Mahoney. Birthday. I miss that guy. I miss that guy. But uh, yeah, just uh, I, uh, I don't know. I don't even think Balls was on a pay per view. But uh, yeah, there's so many guys who want to be on that pay per view, and, and just saying that makes me appreciate the fact that I was even right. on it because Tommy Dreamer. Who was you know, you know the main guy in ECW? He didn't even have a match on the pay per view, right? Uh, yeah, so so fortunate, so fortunate. You know. The Holiday Inn was popping afterwards; it was lit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Everybody went to uh, Legend Sports Bar, and we had a few uh, adult beverages and stuff like that, and uh, uh, felt it the next morning when we woke up. <laughs> you know. Um, we can go down the card if you want to like share any anecdotes from any of the matches or uh, any backstage sure. stories. Feel free. Uh, we have a dark match. Uh, Chris Chetty and JT Smith defeated the FBI. Uh, any any crazy things about this match that you you I, saw or heard? I, I, a lot of the card was was a blur. To be honest <laughs> with you, uh, I uh, I think that sticks out in my mind is. Uh, uh, Bubba Ray Dudley working on a uh, on a broken foot against the Eliminators. Oh, wow. He yeah. his foot had been he he had I don't know what he broke in his foot. I know I'm getting all I'm all over the place. Well, here, this, is the first, like, this is the first. This is that was the first match on like the main card. So we're kind of going in order. It's fine. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, feel free yeah, to go he, through he, it he, if you want. Yeah, he, 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 Bubba Ray. Uh, I, I don't even think I saw the dark match. To be honest, <laughs> I think I, I think I still put it on my meanie face at the time, but uh. Uh, yeah, uh, Dudley's versus the uh, Eliminators. Up until that point, Bubba had a, a like a broken foot, and he cut off his cast in the locker room, and uh, you know, slowly put his boot on, you know, taped up or whatever. He did what I don't know how he wow. stood on it, but you know, it was the first first ever ECW pay per view. So Bubba was going to be on it, and Bubba didn't care how much it hurt or whatever. <laughs> He was going to go out there and be the first match on the in ECW history on live pay per view. So, and and that that's a perfect match to have to kick off the pay per view too. Is it to set mm-hmm. the tone? You know, yeah. the Eliminators were such a good tag team. Uh, Cronus was one of the most amazing performers I had been around and seen in the ring. And every time I see a guy like Aleister Black now, I think of Cronus all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because that's the first time I saw a guy that big do a 450. And I'm like, how? Because up until that point, I'm just used to the cruiserweights doing that, you know? Like, but Cronus, he's a heavyweight. Scorpio was out there doing 450s, and he was like 250 (laughs) back in the day. True. Scorpio was a huge influence. But, uh, uh, you know, Cronus was uh, a a, a gymnast growing up, and he would teach gymnastics. And you could just go, hey, Cronus, can you do this? How's that go, brother? 
And then you, you just explain it to him, and he would go, oh, okay. And then, and then he does it. it. It was surreal. He was like a cartoon, you know, just, you know, like he knew, he didn't know gravity existed. You know, he could just do all this cool stuff where there's, you know, uh, the Muda handspring elbow or the, uh, was it, the space tiger driver, the, uh, the, the cartwheel into a moonfall over the top rope onto the opponents and stuff like that. He could do everything. So, you know, uh, he was, he was, it was, you know, uh, the eliminators like Perry was the bad cop and the Cronus was the goofy sidekick, you know, yeah. you know yeah. in, the, in the buddy cop movie, you know, you know, you know Cronus, calm down, Woo-hoo! you know, they all that kind of stuff, you know, and then have them against the Dudleys, Dudleys, you know, who went on to become one of the greatest tag teams of all time, mm-hmm. you know, the most, uh, the most, uh, you know, you know, uh, decorated tag team of all time. So that, that's the person, that's one of the best ways to, you know, set the tone for the pay-per-view. Yeah, and you kind of see NXT do that now with their takeovers, like it's tag team championship match generally first now. And it's one yeah. of the, one of the top matches of the card. The eliminators would, yeah, it wasn't the best match given Bubba Ray, you know, having a broken foot, but, um, eliminators now, I don't know how he, I don't know how he stood on that foot, man. That's crazy. But that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, the yeah. Elim- eliminators win the tag titles uh, there, uh, so it's a good way to start off. I think the main card title change to two, two great tag teams, and then like you said, originally not booked for the pay per view. Rob Van Dam he would face Lance Storm in the next match. What the hell? I, I, why did Lance Storm have what was up with his hair? Like, why did he wait so long to get that tail cut? Because I used to have one of those, and but it was like 1992, yeah. 1993, and that then I got went that out cut like off, 93, so. 94. Yeah, what, what, what was that? Was he just trying to be different? Like, I, I don't. Maybe he was just a maybe. Maybe he was just a really big fan of the movie coming to America, and he wanted to grow one of those prince <laughs> tails. But, uh, when, when he said he cut it, he was like. Uh, that'd be thirteen dollars. <laughs> thirteen dollars. You know, I, I don't know. I maybe it's a Canadian thing, dude. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what the I don't know what the hell we're yeah, Canadians are weird. Yeah. <laughs> we apologize to Canadian listeners, by the way. You're not weird. That is only Nick's opinion, not not the entire Straight Shooter's opinion. Just Nick. I don't think we've had to apologize in a few weeks, so that was our no, first. I love apology. I love Canada. I love Canada so much. I'll be there uh, June 23rd for Creektown Pro Wrestling. Cheap plug. There so uh, I'll be I'll be in Toronto. So. But, uh, yeah, it must have been a Canadian thing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Still going I, I think to match, 97. Yeah, man. I think, that, I think that match was originally supposed to be uh, Lance Storm against Chris Candido, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I think I think Chris might have been hurt for that. And then, uh, you know, RVD was the substitution. But sometimes things happen for a reason. Right. If uh, he didn't get on the pay-per-view, he wasn't the substitution. Maybe that wouldn't have given him the attitude to become Mr. Monday night, mm-hmm. you know, and say, Oh, now I'm worth more elsewhere and stuff like that. So, you know, yeah. uh, history has a, as a, you know, you know, fate has a funny way of working things out to, you know, it actually eventually worked out in the long run. So, and by, by the way, it was, a, that was another great match, you know, top mm-hmm. to bottom, this, this whole show, you know, it was just like, you know, boom, 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 just, Constantly delivering, 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 delivering. And 
with the next match, you had some international flavor representing the BWO. Yes. Uh, did, did, now, were you guys consulted at all with like just the BWO? <laughs> or was Paul Heyman just like, hey, we're putting BWO on, on this team or something like that? How did that come about? What was that discussion like? Well, just like, you know, the NWO, NWO had uh, started <laughs> yeah. bringing in uh, New Japan guys. Yeah, Masahiro know, Chono. I just watched that the other day, actually. Yeah. So we're <laughs> like, hey, if they can have uh, a Japanese contingency, so can we. <laughs> you know? And we are, we are, we were already bringing the guys over. So it just, uh, you know, it made sense for us to have our own uh, contingency with, uh, it was, I think it was the Taka. Yep. Dick Togo, yep. and Terry Boy. Yep. Right yeah, I, I feel so bad because when I first saw Dick Togo, I accidentally <laughs> called him Dick to go. So, <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah, yeah I'll get a, a half pound of cheese and I'll get some Dick to go. Yeah, no, no, not eating it. Get it to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get that Dick to go. But, uh, <laughs> And then someone's like, it's like, no meanie, idiot. It's Dick Togo. I was like, oh. Mm. It's a good thing I didn't fucking, you know, say, hey, uh, please, uh, nice to meet you, Mr. Togo. You know? <laughs> I'm corny. I'm sorry. Uh, funny enough, Taka Mishinoku would join WWF later that year, become their first light heavyweight champion. Um, and he's still going today. He's, yeah, he's yeah. doing New Japan stuff, right? I, I don't know. He he hasn't aged today. He, oh, he still looks much. the same, you know. Uh, and then with the Jews out there still looking like yeah. 2001 all over again. Yeah, yeah. But the cool thing is those, those guys were really – they they were all on board with, you know, BWO Japan, that they even went out and got BWO Japan shirts made up and stuff like that. So that <laughs> that was that was really cool, man. That was really cool. You know, because, uh, you know, you could have easily said, hey, guys, can you do this? And, you know, they could have said, get out of here. No way. <laughs> but they were they were down, man. They were, it was so cool. Hey, and they knew Taka got that BWO rub, and he won a light heavyweight title. That's that's a yeah. BWO rub right there. Well, there man. you go, man. There you go. Unfortunately, though, they wouldn't get the win in that match because they lost to the great Sasuke, Grand Hamada, and Masato Yakushiji. So, uh, but it's still, great it's match, still a solid match. match. Yeah. yeah, still got the BWO rep- representing. Yeah, um, one of the best angles I think I've ever seen in pro wrestling. Uh, Shane Douglas and Pitbull two uh, wrestle for the world television title, but. Shane Douglas and Pitbull number one. Oh my God. Like <laughs> yeah. grabbing cool. the neck brace and going back and forth. Like, oh my God. That was probably I li- that's when I, that's literally one of the reasons why I was like, oh, ECW is real, because you would never see that in like WWF or WCW. And ECW just the wrestlers don't care about each other. That's cool. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. You know, that was my thought process. Uh to me, one of the greatest angles in, in, in wrestling. Uh, when you saw that, it, just go back to before this match when Shane Douglas p- like just grabbed the uh, neck break or neck Halo, uh, Halo, Halo. Or Gary Gary Wolf, or like what were your thoughts? Did you know how much heat that would get? Not from just the crowd and attendance, but like it just seemed like everywhere people were like, "That ain't that ain't right." <laughs> <laughs> it was just a, it's like a thousand you know f- thousand to fifteen hundred people just gasped all at the same time. I, you know, it was a, it's just a collective. 
You yeah, know, because yeah. you know, you, I think you can audibly hear that coming through the TV. Like, yeah, and, and you see people jump the rail and stuff like that. You know, just guys like who are just like ready to hit the ring. Like, oh my god, that's you know, willing to save you know, you know, Gary. You know, because I mean, leading up to the angle, we would, you know, Gary'd be around the locker room and you'd rib him. You know, guys would go and hang her tail on a halo or Aww. stuff like that. It's like, hey, hey, Gary, you mind if I put my towel here? You know, he goes, he's like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah. Yeah, just stuff like that. But, you know, good, good nature ribbing. But, uh, you know, when that happened, I was like, oh, I mean, because you could do an angle and it could be hokey. You know what I'm saying? But that did not look hokey. That looked like legit, just, uh, just the way Gary sold it, just the way Shane, you know, his facial expressions as he's, you know, rocking them back and forth. And then again, like I said, with the crowd, you know, people wanting to jump the rail. It's a good thing they they got him. You know, Shane had to get right out of the building. He went right from the ring into a car, and they drove him off. That's crazy. You know, le- yeah. Legit, legit. You get him out of here. You, you know, you it's know? crazy. You get some heat like that in front of an ECW crowd. Like they've seen everything, and you do something like that, and they're hot. Like wow, you did something. And it's it's almost like the beauty of wrestling, where you can do all the stuff you want, all the crazy flips and the weapons and all the stuff, but something as simple as just grabbing his halo. Yeah. That is yeah. what's going to get you to heat. Cause that's, that still resonates with everybody. You that's know, everybody. Business. Yeah. Right. Everybody can resonate. Everybody can relate to something like, Oh, you got to be low down, dirty, rotten. You know what to do something like that. It, you know, it, it, to me that I like that, that sometimes when less is more and that just that, just that grab, we didn't have to do anything to him afterwards. Just to grab it was enough yeah. to send people over the moon and go kill him. Absolutely, stuff. it's one thing to you know the the, the to get the casual fan mm-hmm. to you know go, but when you get you know right. guys who are fans who are smart to the business that have them suspend their disbelief, that's when you know you've done something really cool. Yeah, something. Yeah, so uh, Shane Douglas became one of the best heels in the business at that point, and. Uh, he kept it going during the pay-per-view. He beat Pitbull number two. He was world television champion for a long time. He lost it to Taz a few months. Uh, well, actually, yeah, it was a few months later in 97. But then he would go on to be world heavyweight champion again. So kudos to Shane Douglas because it made me just hate his guts. Um, and that's what he was there for. So even as a fan who, who uh, started coming around and, and realizing things, ECW was real, man. He made, He just kind of made it real to me. So uh, kudos to him and, and that whole situation. Now we come to the big match. Like it seemed like this was what the pay-per-view was for Taz versus Sabu. Uh, what was there like a, like a fervor around the locker room for this particular match? Cause yes, it's the first pay-per-view and like the pay-per-view as a whole is great, but this particular match, did you just, was there like there seemed like there was a dip, different atmosphere with, with the crowd and the whole build up? You know, like I had been following it for months on TV, and like I was ready to watch this match happen. Uh, just what was like the atmosphere surrounding uh, this match specifically? It was just a matter of just you know seeing what the end result would be. You know, you knew these guys, you know, were going to have a great great match because they had, you know Sabu and Taz had wrestled each other countless times, and. Uh, but the, the thing that really made this match was there was a, a build of like almost over a year where these guys, you know, they, you know, called each other out and 
never even laid a finger on each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were several, you know, pull-aparts, like, where they almost made contact, and, you know, the lights went out, they're both in the ring, and then they, right. uh, the, the locker room comes out and holds them back and stuff like that. So the anticipation to see these guys finally, finally hook up and, uh, you know, you know, get into it, you know, that's that's always the real intrigue and just to see what the finished product of the, the, the business of the match would be, you know, between uh, these two guys. And uh, it was a physical match because, you know, there's a couple of times where Taz threw a couple cross faces mm-hmm. and he, he busted up Sabu's nose pretty good mm-hmm. on a couple of them. And uh, I, the thing that sticks out in my match is that Taz uh, head and shoulder suplex through the table where, it looked like Sabu just landed right on his head, mm-hmm. and uh, it was amazing. You know, uh, you knew those guys were going to have a great match. It's just a matter of what, you know, what level they were going to take it to on pay per view. Yeah, and Taz would wind up winning uh, by submission. But I'm curious about the decision to, at, at this point, Bill Alfonso was with Taz, and then he turns on Taz to join Sabu, and then eventually. Rob Van Dam will come in and it'll be kind of like that trio with Bill Alfonso, Sabu, and RVD. What did you think about that decision? And uh, did anyone really know about that beforehand? And what was the purpose of just, was it just because Taz didn't need anyone and he was better alone? Or like, what was it surrounding that decision? Uh, honestly, I don't even know if many of the boys knew Fonzie was going to turn on Taz. I, I just remember it. You know, like with the, sometimes with the pay per view, when you do a, a blow off to a feud, you need something to mm-hmm. either a have the you gotta do something to make the feud continue, or do something to finally have that blow off and the two guys go their ways into other feuds. So uh, it kind of made sense that you know uh, Fonzie would turn because you have this year build up. To this, to this match and uh, you know if Taz is going to the win there's got to be some kind of consequence you know because you know it doesn't really benefit Sabu you know he gets called out for a year then he has the match and then he loses the guy who's been calling him out for a year you know so he, you know Taz calls out Sabu for a year you know Taz wins but ha ha you know, mm-hmm. I got you know something up my sleeve. Bobby, you know, turns on Taz, takes off the shirt, and then now, then it's you know, you know, Fonzie, Sabu, and Taz, you know, aligning forces to uh, catapult them into a, another direction and stuff like that. So you had to do something in that match because if it was just like an ending to a match, you know, I mean, the match was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to have the blow off to the feud, something had to come out of that. You know, I, uh, I don't know what else you could have done. Right. And, uh, you know, technically, Taz really didn't need a, a manager anymore right. because he was just, he's a one man, you know, crime spree, you know, one man, mm-hmm. one man wrecking, wrecking machine. So just to, uh, you know, and it would be good for, you know, you know, Fonzie, you know, Sabu, I mean, Taz could talk, you know, Taz really didn't need a mouthpiece right? where, you know, Sabu's character really didn't talk. So for Sabu to have a mouthpiece for him made all the sense of the world too. So 
Yeah, and it almost seemed like a double turn in a way because people were starting to like Taz, and you know, he w- it seemed like he was the heel uh, when this whole thing started. But now yeah. that he was getting cheered as much as he was, it just made sense to uh, just because he didn't need anyone. Bill Alfonso was, you know, more heelish, I guess. So it made sense. Yeah, whistle yeah, the time. yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So. Yeah, so that was interesting and probably one of my favorite ECW feuds of all time. Um, after that, we kind of already talked about it was the three-way dance and then Terry Funk won that that you were involved with and then he would go on to win the ECW World Heavyweight title. Any other like final thoughts about that, uh, Terry Funk winning? And uh, did you guys think or know that he was – was he going to have like an extended run with the belt to kind of promote ECW in a way or was that just not kind of the focus? The focus was like here and now – Terry Funk champion, and then we'll worry about future storylines or pay-per-views uh, down the road. I mean, the funny thing is, Nisubi really never knew what was going to happen because Paulie would show up to the building and write the card out on a on a napkin, basically, <laughs> or you know, or find a piece, rip off a piece of cardboard from a pizza box and write out, like, <laughs> look around the room. Okay, I'll have so and so wrestle so and so wrestle so wrestle so and so. The one thing that actually it always sticks out in my mind about that freeway dance was uh, earlier in the night, they, they had the six man tag match with the, the Japanese contingent mm-hmm. of international BWO and uh, against uh, Sasuke. And, you know, for that match, they, they all threw out streamers, mm-hmm. which was the, the Japanese tradition. So whoever cleared out the ring, they threw the streamers underneath the ring. So you get to the main event of Sandman, Terry Funk, and Stevie Richards. So Sandman, or one of the guys, goes under the ring to grab Bob Ward that they had strategically placed there before the show, and it's all entangled with the streamers mm-hmm. from the Japanese six-man tag team match. So instead of whipping out this vicious-looking Bob Wire, it looks like Sandman's taking out streamers. They're going, yay! You know, it's just... <laughs> and I was thinking, you know, like one of the weird things that always stuck out, you know, in my mind from that match that you know, instead of pulling out Bob Wire, he pulled out streamers and stuff like that. But uh, it was just a physical match, just uh, a really hard hitting match with stuff with the ladder and then you know Terry Funk, you know, doing the moon salt and all the weapons, and then uh, just the pressure of you know, take it home, guys, because you know everybody's you know. You know, Terry, Terry, not Terry Gordon, Todd Gordon. I'm thinking of Terry Gordy. Uh, <laughs> Todd Gordon is running around and you guys take it home. And then, uh, you know, just, just the, the fact that they, the typical ECW fashion, pulled it off at the last second, you know. Into the teeth. May, may, yeah. Mm. Hey, the best analogy I, I could pull, I could say is it's like we fell down a flight of steps, but at, on the last couple of steps, we landed on our feet. You know, I just went, ta-da, I meant that, I meant that, I meant that, I meant that, you know, so, and now it's just ECW, it's like, you know, fly by the seat of our pants kind of thing, and, you know, whether it be, you know, go out in a promo and find somebody on the street to do a promo with, like when the BWO did Christmas in uh, Times Square, and Stevie kicks this uh, Santa Claus in the face, that's just a street performer, you know, guy saw his film, guy saw his filming, the guy wasn't a wrestler, he was just a, a street performer in a Santa suit. And he goes, oh, I want to be on TV. They're like, oh. Okay. And, then we, 
you want me on TV? And they, they explain what a Stevie kick is. And the guy goes, yeah, all right. And then <laughs> that's the guy on the street. And then he's going to kick in the face. I, and like they walked through it like maybe once. And then we filmed it. And the guy took this huge bump. And this guy is not even a wrestler. He took a huge bump on the, the concrete. And we're like, <laughs> you know, we did, we finished the promo. He's like, ah, oh, that's what you get for not giving me that train set when I was nine, you know? <laughs> and then it was a like cut. And then we ran over to see if the guy was alive. You know, he, <laughs> you know, I might be dating myself, but the guy literally did a nest plunge onto a, you know, a concrete, you know, city sidewalk. Jeez. So, I mean, that was just ECW. You know, you just do a promo. You just do things. Last second, no planning. That's why, you know, when, uh, you know, people see, and, and it's wrestling in general, it's like that. You know, a wrestler could go into any medium and just be prepared because, you know, wrestling prepares you for pretty much anything in this life. All right. Well, Lini, man, this has been fascinating. And I've actually learned a couple things tonight, man. This, yeah. I know WWE set up that trap door for <laughs> Bam yeah, Bam and Tad. Yeah. These guys jarred a couple memories, yeah. Because uh, here's another little secret. I don't even know if I. I don't think this has ever been told in public. So for the the Taz Bigelow match, you know, uh, they had the trap door, right? Mm-hmm. So for, in order for them to, to do that, Taz and Bigelow had to brawl to the outside. While they were brawling on the outside, like Mikey Whipwreck and the ring ring crew crawled underneath the. Uh, their ring, their, their, there was a ramp entranceway. They crawled down there, loosened up the apron, and then opened up the trap door, you know, and make sure the apron's all nice and loose. So Taz and Bigelow get back in the ring. And uh, Taz hops on Bigelow for the choke. So, you know, to the referee's blind side, you know, you know, Bigelow's tapping, 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 tapping. Mm-hmm. Well, if you see him doing that, he's putting his hands on the rope. And they had measured out where the best spot for Bigelow to do the, the nest T plunge backwards through the hole. So when they found the, the right distance, they took uh, electrical tape and just taped this one side part of the ring rope. That it felt like a, like a fat piece of the rope. Like, you know how your steel yeah. wheel has that, the, the parts that like 10 and two or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They made that part of the ring rope about that much thicker. So when he put his hand there and he felt the bump in the rope, he knew to launch himself backwards wow. and go through the uh, the uh, the ring How rope. About that, man. There's yeah. so many little things that you wouldn't think of, but there's so many. Yeah, things next, time, next, 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 time, next time you, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step over you. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, next time you watch that, you know, watch him tap, tap, tap. He's tapping with that one hand. He's feeling for the the spot on the rope, and then you see him. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you one of my favorite finishes too, because uh, you know they they were down there for a while, and then Bigelow gets up, pulls Taz up, and then pins him. And I'm like shocked because Taz lost, but I should have been shocked because it was like in the ring, and Bam Bam Bigelow went up was on top of him. So one of the coolest finishes, and it's funny because the main event was after that, and they just had caution tape around the yeah, the that so, was hilarious. So, <laughs> Like maybe with that decision, why not have that tag match before and have Taz and Bam Bam going last? Or did it yeah, matter? I think they definitely should have flip flopped it. <laughs> uh, I think Sonny almost fell through. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, but I, I think the uh, deciding factor in that was uh, at the end of the, uh, the the tag match with Al Snow, Shane Douglas, all them, the ring's going to be full of heads. Right. So, like... Yeah, true. You, 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 you could have the match, and then, like, Taz and Bigler are going to come out, and they're going to be rolling around. There's going <laughs> right. to be, like, yeah. 2,000 styrofoam heads at ringside, <laughs> or possibly in the ring, and it's probably going to kind of interfere with that match. But, you know, I think Taz and Bigelow should have been the main event because it was Bigelow's hometown and yeah, so he, he yeah. was winning. So that would only made sense. But logistically, you know, because of Al Snow and the, you know, Star however Man. many. Yeah, oh, dude, there were thousands of them. I don't know <laughs> where they found the warehouse that had all these styrofoam heads in them. But, like, there was, like, a crew of guys that were just – it was head duty. You know, they uh, – uh, Paul had uh, new Harry Slash. Harry Slash, who did all the music for CW, had a buddy named Haz, H-A-Z, who was a really cool dude. And uh, Haz was in charge of going to the warehouse, filling uh, a rider, like, moving truck with all these boxes of heads, and they would bring him to the building. You know, it, I remember uh, the last BCW pay-per-view, they told Haz, go out and find some razor wire. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> You know, this is like, like a couple of, like two hours before the pay per view. Where do you buy razor wire? So yeah. he, he, around New York City. He, he, he was walking around New York City. And he saw a parking garage and he had wire clippers, wire snippers, and went up and, and took some from a, a parking garage and just, there you go, the, the, for, yeah. the Tommy, for the Tommy Dreamer CW Anderson match. Legit, legit razor wire. It ain't the fake stuff. No. <laughs> no, so. Um, ECW was the seat of our pants production. You know? <laughs> One last quick memory of that Taz Bam Bam Bigelow match. And we'll wrap up. I remember Taz taking a bump onto the guardrails, like on the side of the ring. On oh, that suplex. Disgusting. He just had like right uh, on the yeah. edge of it. Wow. I was yeah. watching that. Oh my God. How did he even get up yeah. after that? I, well, then you, you flash forward later, and then Taz starts having neck problems. And. Mm. You yeah. know that could have been the the catalyst for that, and probably because uh, it was off the side because I mean, that that ramp had went all the way to the ring. It was more like right. it wasn't like on the floor. Exactly, like the side. it was crazy. Yeah, that, that, that that ramp was uh, you know, sl- uh, and New Japan slash WW. I mean WCW inspired. You know, yeah, we're yeah, all we're all wrestling that. fans. We're all marked for that kind of ramp and stuff like that. <laughs> so. It was kind of cool to go down the ramp like you used to see on TV, you know, and so it, it was pretty cool. Yeah. All right. With that said, let's wrap it up for tonight. We've talked for well, well over an hour, but it's been yeah. fantastic because, you know, Blue Mini got so many stories, so many great anecdotes. And we, like I said, we hope you, the listeners at home, learned a lot because I know me and Nick did. And yeah. we just, we could just talk about and just hear Blue Mini tell stories our night, but mm. we got to go to sleep at some point. You guys got to come to McCusker's one night. I got plenty of stories. You know what? Uh, we might do that there. one day. We're there. We might do that one day. Absolutely. So, That'd be awesome. In the meantime, Meanie, I know you got some dates coming up you want to plug, so please plug away. Uh, uh, like I said, June 23rd, I'll be in Toronto, Canada for uh, Greek Town Wrestling. Greek Town Wrestling, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. I haven't been to Canada in a while. Uh, June 8th, I will be at the ECW Arena for uh, Icons of Wrestling uh, Convention. Oh uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> Mrs. Meany's helping me on the over on the side here, and then uh, Labor Day weekend, 
I will be in Las Vegas, Nevada for StarCast 2 before the uh, AEW uh, Double or Nothing pay-per-view. So if you're going to StarCast, come say hello to the blue guy. Uh, If you're in Philly, come to Icons, June 8th. Say hi to the blue guy. Uh, Also, uh, big plug right now, uh, I'm going to be part of a video game. It's oh. a uh, two, the two D, uh, gra- uh, two dimensional graphic uh, video game called Retromania Wrestling. Uh, so far, they have the BWO, they have the Road Warriors, Tommy Dreamer, Austin Idol, and uh, Zack Saber Jr. Oh, nice. uh, and they're going to be uh, releasing more names to come. Uh, go to on uh, Twitter, follow Retrosoft Studios or Studio. On uh, Twitter, Retrosoft Studio, or Instagram, it's Retrosoft Studios on Instagram. And uh, there's constant updates, and you know there's some really cool graphics. It's it's like a throwback to uh, the old WrestleFest games. Yeah, that that was in the arcades in the late '80s, early '90s, stuff like that. And it's it's going to be so much fun. The the, the people putting together. This is a passion project, so you know they're going to really pl- treat it with kid gloves and make it make it right. So, Retro Soft Studio on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, keep your eyes out for Retro Mania Wrestling. Yeah, I'm, I, I just followed it on Twitter, and I said this is quite the roster already. You said like Zack Saber Jr., Tommy Dreamer, BWO, Road Warriors. That's kind of lit. So you look out for that. And it's going uh, to be released early 2020. Uh, so far, it's going to be for PC. And Nintendo Switch, and then uh, they're working right now on the getting the right the licenses or whatever the jargon is to get on PS4 and Xbox. Right. So uh, right. you know, look them up, man. It's going to be awesome. What's an idol in a video game? Does that ever happen? In 2019 <laughs> or 2020, brother? You know, uh, and I have an idea who they're going to have on the game. I can't say, but it's going to be really cool, and it's it's really cool what they're doing with the characters. There's going to be like a storyline mode. Uh, there's going to be different arenas, like DCW Arena is going to be in it already. I've seen oh, like a, a rough a rough shot of it and stuff like that. So, uh, Retromania Wrestling, look it up, and uh, when it comes out, it's going to be fair, uh, reasonably priced too. Uh, it's going to be a really fun game to, to play, and hopefully. You know, if this does well, they'll, they'll definitely be doing sequels and stuff like that. That's awesome, man. Nick, I know you got some plugs, right, so man. please plug away. All right. You can follow me at Nick Picone on Twitter, and I also have a WrestleMania analysis slash recap up at phillyvoice.com, kind of highlight the four or five biggest stories coming out of WrestleMania and uh, some of the match results. So you can check that out. And you can also check out phillyinfluencer.com. We're going to have some good Phillies content up there coming at you. We're, we just made a new addition uh, to the team. So uh, he's going to be working on a lot of Phillies stuff. Uh, so we'll introduce him, uh, you know, maybe over the weekend or maybe a little next week. So uh, that'll be fun. And uh, also, if, if this ep- if you like this episode, if you love what Blue Media talked about, Barely Legal. Go to the WW Network and hit up uh, Barely Legal 1997. I'm going to watch that this weekend for the 22nd uh, year anniversary. So uh, it's uh, it was just awesome having you on, Mini. Like, appreciate oh, all all the stories you had, and uh, I cannot wait uh, to 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 watch this pay per view now with some of the stuff that uh, we know now. Oh, thank you so much for having me, guys. It's a, it's really 
a pleasure to come on here because not only are you wrestling uh, fans, you're Philly sports fans, and uh, mm-hmm. we're all cut. We're all cut from the same cloth. Absolutely. You know, and uh, yeah, it's awesome to come on here and just shoot the breeze about the things we love. And uh, thank you for giving me uh, a voice on your uh, your program. And I don't think it'll and, be the last time either. Hell no, we gotta bring it back, man. This is good. Woo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> we gotta do this again. So. Thanks again to Blue Meanie. And, of course, you can find us on a bunch of different platforms. I, I don't think I mentioned them earlier, but I'll mention them now. Of course, we're on iTunes. You can rate, review, subscribe to us on there. Uh, we're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on TuneIn Radio. We're on Spreaker. We're on Player FM, SoundCloud, Spotify, and, of course, the mothership, WildfireRadio.com. You can find all 191 prior episodes. And, of course, if you want some exclusive content, go to patreon.com slash shooters radio where you're going to find our previous episode with the blue meanie it's a patreon exclusive where we talked about our experiences with the ecw arenas specifically mine of course because we got a super bowl ring there mm-hmm. i got a super bowl ring there the eagles got a super bowl ring there back <laughs> last june at the ecw arena yeah that actually happened and you want to hear all the details about it and what went into it and you know how we got decked the whole place out check it out patreon.com slash shooters radio for the nominal fee of 199 Per creation, exactly just like Meanie said, 199 baby. So <laughs> go check it out. But in the meantime, for Blue Meanie and the Picon, I'm Vaughn Johnson. Thanks for listening and watching episode 192 of the Straight Shooters. And we'll catch y'all again next week, not tomorrow this time, but ne- actually next week this time. Please. You've been listening to the Straight Shooters on Wildfire Radio. For advertising opportunities, contact Nick Picone via email at piconenick at gmail.com or call 856-625-1190.